day Outnumbered, that's the trick of it No more to lose and so here we go present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Holmes' Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 155. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Uh, welcome back, everyone. It's a bit of a surprise we're recording tonight. I thought we had the week off because Joey was doing family crap. <laughs> we decided not to drive in the bad, predicted bad weather, which it turned out not to be that bad. Yeah, I we were anticipated to have snow today, but we didn't. Um, Thankfully, yeah. I, I didn't need a layer of fresh snow on top of the layer of ice that is <laughs> all over my driveway. We had freezing rain, which I know that's not abnormal for some people to have, you know, especially out on the East Coast. I know it's a lot more prevalent out there than it is here, but still, nonetheless, we've, you know, we got hit by a big snowstorm a few weeks ago, and then it just stayed cold, so yes. it's never melted. And then we got the freezing rain, which just literally put a layer of ice on the roads, all so over everything. We're heading into. My wife was dropping me off at work on Thursday, which is when the freezing rain hit in Provo, anyway. And uh, we're going down State Street, where it's about fifty miles an hour, and there's a stoplight coming up. And I'm looking down the road ahead to the stoplight, and I see the car in front of us do a three sixty. And then come up hard against the curb. And I'm thinking, they did this right in front of the juvenile court detention center in Provo. (laughs) And I thought, I'm about to see a jailbreak here. These guys are pulling in. They're doing like the action stop. They're they're going in to free someone. And I turned and I looked at my wife and I said, did you see that? And she said, what? I said, that car right there. And then my wife said, Joey, the car won't stop. The car won't stop. The car won't stop. <laughs> so she had never driven a vehicle with anti-lock brakes before and had never hydroplaned or, or slid at all before uh, when she was driving. That's a scary experience. So for her, it was both of those at once because she pushed the brakes down and she felt the ABS kick in and it's pulsing on her foot. And so she's just pushing harder and harder thinking that she has to push the brake down harder. Anyway, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty terrifying. And I was like, Oh, like and then my brain connected the two events together and it became a little less surreal. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, I knew that it was raining, but when you get out there and you just see ice forming everywhere (laughs) just know you gotta slow down yeah um it was weird by the time i had gotten to work it took me a half an hour to get to work normally it you know at most it takes me 15 minutes so it was a long trip to get in for me there was a layer of ice on the top of my truck by the time i got in you know that's how ridiculously cold it was anyway grateful that that is over and uh, hopefully we're getting a minor thaw 
um, so that the ice will break. The glaciers will go south for the winter. <laughs> I don't know. Wh- whatever you want to say. Um, okay. Any announcements we have to say? Uh, check out the, the Home Stormy uh, Wheel of Time reread that we've yeah. been doing. I put a little plug in for that. Um, that's uh, We've already had, what, four... Yeah, four posts so far. I don't know if you guys are fans of the Wheel of Time. It's a good uh, fantasy series to, to check out. I should say it's a long fantasy series to check out. <laughs> I would I, say it's a good fantasy I series. I have yet to determine if it's good or not. Um, anyway, that, that's a lot of fun to, to you know stay on, on board with us. Um, yeah, I guess we'll just move on. Yeah. Move on. Facebook find of the week? We don't have any listener emails to uh, preface nope. with? Okay. Nope. Everything else is going to be related, uh, for the most part, to, to the episodes. To the episodes. Okay, Facebook find of the week. Yeah. Um, I am going to go with a late entry by Dean. <laughs> um, and it's a picture of Starbuck and Starbuck drinking Starbucks at Starbucks. <laughs> um, and, and let me see if I can uh, zoom this in for you a little bit. Uh, let's see if I can get that. Should I just pull it up over nah, here? No, you can see it from here. Oh, nice. Yeah. They're both, uh, I believe they're both, yeah, both holding cigars. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is the, uh, what, what Starbuck does. She looks so much better like this. In real life? Yes. Yeah, yeah as a real person instead much, of. Much, much more attractive. Um, so congratulations, uh, to, uh, listener Fishhead. Um, you've earned it this week. Um, let's see here. Brainy's Nook. Brainy's Nook of Darkness. Pull open his email. Uh, sup dudes. The podcast has been super awesome. Riffic recently. Congratulations on your collective super fly and super funny contributions as of recent. Uh, and Pete, your Klingon opera style of Bears Battlestar (laughs) Galactica, Battlestar Operetica, Last week was incredible. Cheers to you for doing that because it rocked. I loved it, and now we can use it for a new TrekQuest 5 <laughs> promo. Uh, I am thinking uh, just play your singing and then have Joey say, brought to you by TrekQuest 5. <laughs> also, I wanted to say that I had started The Name of the Wind shortly before you mentioned it a couple casts back. What an awesome, awesome book and since joey has leviathan wakes cued i won't say any more till he reads it or when i cover it in a month from now tick tock okay uh i look forward to hearing joey's analysis of the hobbit i thought that uh, watson did a very fine job in fact on the way out of the theater i overheard several strangers similarly commenting on freeman's excellent work in this movie uh, I thought they did a great job with the music, specifically in bringing to life the lyrics that Tolkien had provided. Songs play a big part in the book. It is very difficult to write sensible music for such occasions. <laughs> One careless stroke and it sounds uncomfortably out of our world. But the song about what Bilbo hates was good, and the acapella dwarf dirge that is titled Misty Mountains on the soundtrack, is really great. Yeah, I do like that one. 
The whole soundtrack from Howard Shore is again awesome. And speaking of movies, I wanted to throw a quick five from your movie villains category last week. And by the way, Joey's submission of Jenny had me laughing deeply. (laughs) We have, uh, and we have number five, Captain Hook by Dustin Hoffman. Mm, Good one. Um, Number four, Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Three, Bill from Kill Bill 2. Yes, good one. Two, The Nothing from The NeverEnding Story. Wow, how did I not get that one? That was a great call, Brini. Okay, number one, Con. Duh. Which brings us to this week's Nook of Darkness, where I want to know, dudes and possibly uh, impossible yet unlikely dudettes in the room... What are your top five favorite bands and or artists? Narrow it down to five. This says something about a fellow, maybe. Well, I really just want to know what your top five and maybe why. I always hate it when you ask someone what they listen to and they say, like, everything. No, you don't, uh, no, you don't, so don't flatter yourself. In this age, the abilities of Pandora and Rhapsody provide a wider range for many, but everyone's got to have a top five. I will provide mine with a super brief explanation. Honorable mention to Pavement, Dylan, and Bowie. Number five, DeGary. One of my favorite guitarists. Definitely my favorite revolutionary guitarist from Madagascar. The style is called Malagasy, and the music contains lyrics that reflect a spirit of opposition to French oppression. His style is so complicated, yet delivered effortlessly, it's very relaxing. Number four, Queen. I think that Bohemian Rhapsody is the greatest rock song (laughs) of all time. It demonstrates much of what these dudes were capable of. Brian may may Brian may is oh Brian May is one of the best. The first seven or eight albums they released are solid all the way through. Their first two albums had songs that were much more fantasy based, with titles like Ogre Battle and The March of the Black Queen, and my favorite, The White Queen. Number three, Radiohead. They have changed music. No one touches them. Following their initial release, every album embodies its own concept, its own identity. Every track on every album is perfect. Lyric, instrumentation, coolness. I read their blog while, blogs while they record albums and while making their revolutionary album Kid A. They worked on only the drum tracks to this one song for six weeks. That song became Idiotech. Another haunting number is Reckoner from the album In Rainbows. I have seen them live four times now since the Amnesiac tour, and they perform live on another level. Earth-shattering crazy level. Number two, Sonic Youth. Amazing, unbridled originality creating completely original sounds by going to measures like using a guitar to play a piano (laughs) or drumsticks to play a guitar 
or weaving tapestries of feedback. With ginseng in, uh, sorry, with Ginsburg-inspired lyrics, <laughs> an NYC identity, they have what every band, every rock band wishes they did, a hot bass player chick. Also, truly a brilliant live band. Number one, The Grateful Dead. Best lyricist ever. Robert Hunter, whom, along with Jerry, yielded hundreds of awesome songs that mostly deal with bandits on the run or cowboys doing something cool, as in the songs Jack Straw and Me and Uncle, Me and My Uncle, respectively. Dueling guitar greatness of my two favorite guitarists, favorite bass player Phil Lesh, two drummers, 30 years of live music. I saw them perform. Uh, I saw them before Jerry died, and it was memorable to say the least. Or the lesh. Um, yeah, uh, good list for the most part, I'd say. Joey, what do you think? And do we have five that we're supposed to do this week? Because I don't think we do. <laughs> and can we, we just make this yes, our five? I, I was just going to say yes, we do. We have a five. <laughs> your five top bands. Good Pete. work, Brainy. You've uh, you've got a lot more control over this podcast than uh, people realize. So Pete, no, uh, you you go first. Oh, all right. Um, I gotta get. I gotta give honorable mentions to uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. I realize he's not an artist <laughs> or a band, as Brainy is kind of putting it out there and the same with Howard Shore. So I, I'm putting them in the honorable mention category because they're composers, right? They're okay. not, but the, most of my favorite, favorite music generally comes from one of those two gentlemen. Um, however, uh, I haven't heard a new album from Bach in a while. <laughs> you just got to get the new recordings of the existing music. Oh, new takes on the existing. All music. right. Uh, Oh, I should add, add to that Rachmaninoff. I'm a huge Rachmaninoff fan as well. But bands and artists. I Fight Dragons. Okay. Um, obviously, I use them for our intro music. I love the chiptune sound, but so much of the chiptunes that's out there tries to combine it with more of an element of rap than rock, and I'm more of a fan of rock. I really like the way these guys blend the video game sounds that just bring such a, a joyful, youthful, nostalgic feeling to me with just some great rock and roll music. The way those right. two things combine and blend together, I just really enjoy almost every song they've ever done. Cool. Okay. Um, my number four is a band called The Beautiful South. However, only one album. <laughs> so here, here's the thing the beautiful south they had i think like four or five albums and if you listen to them at the end of every song uh, you know our friend jared put it the best i think he said these guys don't know how to stop playing they just they, they go into these like musical interludes at the end of each song well when they went to put together their best of album they hired a producer that knew when to cut and the band became so much better instantly because the song would end at the right time instead of going into this just kind of long, like two or three minute musical interlude at the end where you just kind of got to dread hearing that song because you, it was going to go into the musical <laughs> interlude. Um, but they're very, very witty and ironic, very much a band of the nineties. Uh, I love to just listen to so their band their the album is Carry On Up the Charts. It, there was a 
a very limited edition release of uh, a two album or a two disc album. So if you go out and look for Carry On Up the Charts, you're only going to find in most places a one disc album. But there was like a 1500, I think, copy of a second disc. And it's got one of my all time favorite pieces of music. It's called Diamonds. And it's a very, very sad song about how the newness of relationships wears off over time. Uh, the, the chorus is diamonds always shine. And, and the, the principle of the song is if it's real, then when the newness wears off, you're, you're still glad to be in the relationship. Hmm. But it's, it's all presented as an older woman singing to a younger woman. And I believe they're intended to be sisters, but it's, I'm, you know, I'm interpreting something that's not explicitly stated in the lyrics. Um, she's trying to comfort the younger woman to say, look, when it's real, moments like this that you're suffering from right now won't be as devastating. You'll, you'll get through it to the other side with this person because it's a real relationship and not just the, the flightful fancy of youth. Uh, so, so the album, and I put it on this list because a lot of times when I'm just casually looking to listen to music, I will reach for the beautiful South carrying up the charts, and that's what I'll start to play. Hmm. Uh, my number three is Johnny Cash. Huge, huge fan of Johnny Cash. Uh, I think it started when I was about 14 years old, and he, well, I can't remember how old I was, but he did a song on a U2 album called The Wanderer. And I just thought, man, that guy's voice is so amazing. And, and I knew it wasn't any of the guys from U2. And this is on the Zeropa album. So I went and I was like, okay, I got to find out who this guy is. And it's this Johnny Cash, this country singer. And I started listening to his catalog. And I just came to realize, I, I love this music. Everything that this guy does, I enjoy. He The, the, the voice that he brings, not, and I'm not talking here about the singing voice, the the personality that he portrays through the style of music he chooses to do and things like that. I just very much love everything he presents as a performer, as an artist. Uh, it was very tragic when he died. I was, I was sad about that. Tragic for me. Okay. Uh, my number two, Frank Sinatra. Hmm. I've always been a Frank Sinatra fan. It drives my father crazy because he, he hates Frank Sinatra, and he grew up with his parents listening to Frank Sinatra to the point that it grated on him. And then wow. to have his son listen to Frank Sinatra, so like he'd come home, and I'd have the radio up turned up as loud as could go, listening to "I've Got the World on a String." <laughs> <laughs> and he'd come Who in. Whoever thought that they could rebel <laughs> with old blue eyes? That's right? pretty funny. That's really pretty funny. <laughs> So, but, but, you know, truly uh, the music, it just, it, it harkens you back to a very different time in America. Yeah. And, and I always felt that coming through Frank's voice. I could feel that. I could, I could almost go back in time with the words and the way he sang, the way he carooned and, you know, I, I could feel myself pulled back into that simpler, more direct time. In our country. Okay. And my number one band of all time is U2. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised by I, that. I just, I've never heard a U2 song that I didn't go, hmm, that was good. I really enjoyed that. I want to hear that one again. Yeah. When they, for me, when, when they wrote Uptown Girl, that was 
the epitome <laughs> of what you two could do. I, I believe it, you're thinking of Billy Joel, Pete. Oh, oh, that's not you two. No. Oh, oh I've been listening. To a long-standing long joke between Pete and I <laughs> that he can't remember who you two is. I did that to Curtis this week, actually. <laughs> I, I, the, the funny thing was, like, I'd been talking around the office the first time you ever did that to me. I'd been talking for weeks about you two's new album, and then you came in one morning and you said. Guys, I heard this new song. It's by this great new band. You, you're going to love it. They're called U2. And I just like, I died a little inside that day. <laughs> I have done that joke so many times. And back then, I got you guys to fall for it. I, I think more than you should have. Probably, yes. Um, but uh, man, yeah. U2's uh, icons of, of music now. I mean, I would put U2 almost you know almost same level as like beatles kind yeah. of stuff they are just known worldwide and their music is it's, it's good a lot of influence a lot of effect so what's yeah. your five um okay so uh, some of you got to do your uh um you know honorable mention i 90s classic rock honestly i mean that's where I really got my footing with music, you know. So you like Nirvana or? Yeah, sure. Nirvana I mean, is, gr- is great. Like when you say gr- classic rock, is that grunge? Is that? No, I just like big rock hair? and roll. Okay. Like All just right. rock and roll. Everything that encompasses the whole, you know, is, the whole is umbrella. part of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I ebbed and flowed over different areas. I mean, obviously the, the real classic stuff like Led Zeppelin and The Who. Um, I mean, th- those guys are just giants. Really, uh, I but never liked Led Zeppelin. Really, I just I've only heard I, I think I've heard "Stairway to Heaven" in like one other song that I knew I was listening to Led Zeppelin, and wow, they, that is surprising because so many radio stations like they talk about yeah, hey tonight it's get the lead out. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna that's listen true. to Led Zeppelin for an hour. You know, the, you know, so they always get built up, right, about how iconic they are and things like that. And then I hear Stairway to Heaven, and there's one other song I think that comes up a lot. I want to say Hotel California, but that was the Eagles, right? That was definitely the Eagles. <laughs> Another fine band, <laughs> a, a favorite of mine, yes, but uh, no, not... Uh, but so there's, there was another song that a lot of people have played for me. Like, oh, you don't like Led Zeppelin? You got to listen to this song. And I'm always thinking, right, because no one else has ever thought to play Stairway to Heaven for me. And I just come away going, it was all it's just, right. It's not, it's not just Stairway to Heaven. It's, in my opinion, it's the body of work that these guys did. I mean, okay. they really, they were rock. And and I'm not saying I had a problem with it. I'm just saying yeah. I don't feel like my appreciation yeah. of them. Wasn't, I, I wasn't have the same problem with yours. the Beatles. My appreciation of them is not commensurate with other people's. Sure, sure. Uh, so my number five, I'm going to agree with Brainy on uh, Queen. Okay. They are just an awesome sound, and there are so many of their songs that I can sing along to. I know the lyrics for, for the most part, um, except for Killer Queen. I can never get what they're singing in that. <laughs> um, he mentions Bohemian Rhapsody. I actually think that there are better songs than a Bohemian Rhapsody. Under Pressure? Uh, iconic, yeah. Under Pressure is probably one that I would put higher than Bohemian Rhapsody, but there's great songs. You know, bicycle race, fat bottom girl, <laughs> goofy songs, but I still love them. I can listen to them over and over sure. and over yeah. again. Uh, number four, I am going to put uh, Aerosmith. 
Uh, wow. Again, that that's they have spanned almost forty years yeah. now. They started in the seventies, you know, ruled the eighties and nineties. Still were relevant in the two thousands. They haven't put out anything new recently. I, I fully expect that they'll do a Christmas album one day. <laughs> Aerosmith Christmas. <laughs> um, and I, I just, I really, really enjoy a lot of their okay, music. Okay, now help me out here, because I get Aerosmith confused quite often with the Rolling Stones. Yeah, Steven Tyler, but uh, Aerosmith is technically younger so than Rolling Stones. Arwen, she is the daughter of Aerosmith? Yes. Lead singer? Steven Tyler, yes. Okay. All right. That is correct. All right. Um, yeah. Um, number three is a band no one will have ever heard of. They're called the Corys. Um, they are a Scottish folk music group. I've heard of them. Uh, probably have I mentioned them before. You've played their music for me before. Okay. <laughs> um, and I should actually mention all of the all of the bands that I'm mentioning now are bands that I've actually bought the music for paid my own money to get mine as music. well sure yeah um the Corey's scottish folk music i love them uh they're they're funny but they also have the you know the emotional type of of music um and you know when i'm interested in celtic when i want to remember living in scotland <laughs> i turn on their music and i just love it i fell in love with them over there and huge fan uh, matter of fact i need to get their stuff on dvd or not dvd on cd so that I can actually have the you know more than just my cassette tapes yeah. uh, of all of their stuff, and I probably have twenty cassette tapes of theirs. Okay, ridiculous amount. Uh, number two, I'm going to give to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Nice. Um, they are, you know, not just um, you know about my religion, but they these people can sing. They are they take their music seriously. And their combination with the uh, um, the orchestra on Temple Square, um, this is just wonderful music to listen to. Okay, um, it, it's it's contemplative stuff. Number one has got to go to Metallica. Though. Yeah, I saw that coming. Um, I <clears throat> it was weird when Metallica was big in the the eighties nineties. They were, you know, there was the the rock war with Guns and Roses mm-hmm. and. I was actually a GNR fan in high school. Okay. I didn't care for Metallica. I thought they were too dark, too, you know, disturbed. Mm-hmm. I've grown up now and I realized the, you know, for my taste, the real music, the real lyrics about what what's, you know, what they're talking about in Metallica, there's there's actually a lot more depth to what they're singing about than people realize. So I I have to admit, I actually had never really listened to Metallica until Load. Mm-hmm. Uh, Load is actually where I started my voyage, and uh, so I, I, you know, Load, Reload, S and M, that whole kind of that cycle right there. Where, especially, um, was it S and M? Was the where where they were with the orchestra with the orchestra? Yeah, yeah. That, that that for me was the turning point because there are so many bands where that's how I hear the music in my head. Like in my mind, I can imagine what the, what the counterpoint, what the, like I can hear a whole orchestra behind it and to have a band actually get to do that really kind of made me go, Oh, these guys, these, these guys are not just 
getting up there and thrashing around on guitars. There is a very strong musical sense to what they're doing. They are here. musicians yes. in in every right, as much as you know Bach. Yeah, is a, a musician. These guys know how to to make sound and do it beautifully. Um, and in my opinion, um, what they did with S and M, which is again the the San Francisco uh, Orchestra and Metallica played, you know, together, that was an iconic time. Yeah. You know, that is one of those things that people can look back on and say, they rocked the house with that particular show. Um, By the way, the uh, composer who wrote the orchestration. Michael Kamen. Michael Kamen. Also, very, very strong favorite of mine. Yeah, he's a good one. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's uh, that's my five music. Okay. Yeah, way to go, Brainy. Yeah, you thanks. saved us <laughs> in more ways than one. You've got to start getting that out earlier, and I think okay. we need to get it on the Facebook page, and we need to tweet that out. You know what? I will... So that we can get other people to send in their fives as this well. This weekend, I will come up with ten, the next 10 fives wow. so that we have them preloaded, and we can put them out. I was the, just going to force you to do one, but if you're going to do 10... I'm going to do 10. That's, all right. It'll be your top 10 something from the 80s, your top 10. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Joey's Culture Corner. Okay. Uh, I have to apologize here. I had promised that I was going to do The Hobbit The Hobbit, this week. yeah, you did. However, I have given two weeks notice at my employer, and I have been really just burning it up trying to leave them in as good of a position as I can. And I haven't had the time to give The Hobbit the thought that I want to before addressing it in, in the culture corner. So I am going to give it a pass for yet another week. Um, and I will find time this week here to, to give it the thought that it deserves. Instead, I'm going to talk about a TV show that I watched called legit. Um, saw this airing as a pilot and, because of the, you know, once a year I try to write a post on new shows that are coming mm-hmm. out, kind of previewing what I think looks interesting and yep. what I think looks worthy of being mocked. Um, didn't see this one come up. And I saw the pilot air the other day and I thought, oh, that's a new show. I don't know anything about that. I should I should sit down and watch the pilot. Um, thumbs down. <laughs> Th- thumbs down. This was, I don't know. I guess, I guess obviously there's someone out there to whom this is great material. But to me, this seemed to be like the worst kind of mockery of other people and of other cultures and, and, and people with other Can you give us uh, like a little bit so, of summary on the, the yeah. premise? So the, the, the main character that we're following around is an Australian that's living here in the U.S. under some some premise i can't remember like what his reason is for being here um but the guy that he lives with so i don't even remember their names now so i'm gonna call uh crocodile dundee the guy from australia (laughs) and sad sack mike the guy from america so crocodile dundee and sad sack mike live together sad sack mike has a brother who has been terminally ill for 30 plus years lives in the hospital well, so the, the Crocodile Dundee character, he's kind of just like your classic, I want to say like the, the characters that you see in the, the movie The Hangover. Although I haven't actually seen that movie, the, the portrayal you get from the, the commercials, kind of like the Jack Black, just kind of the over the top, I'm completely inconsiderate and 
selfish and a bumbling idiot kind of character. That's this Australian guy. So at some time in the past, he went to the hospital to visit Sad Sack Mike's brother, who's you know hospital bound. Hasn't he can't walk? He can't uh, dress himself. And, and he asks Crocodile Dundee, "Look, I could die any day. I'm thirty something odd years old, and I've never had sex with a woman. Can you please get me to a prostitute?" <laughs> And so the first episode <laughs> is all about them getting this guy, breaking him out of the jail, uh-huh. getting him to a prostitute, him having the encounter with the prostitute, and then going back home. But all along the way, it's just like they took every opportunity they could to make the most denigrating joke possible. Okay. And what what uh, what station was this on? I don't know. I don't pay attention to that stuff okay i just i i, I have a list that it go, that goes down through and it shows me new shows that aired it comes off of epguides.com i saw legit on there so i went and i got it and i watched it okay is it possible that it's not legit and it's actually like it it's possible they didn't say the name of the episode that I know of, the name of the show at any point in the episode, as far as All I right. know. All right. Well, it's on some station somewhere. And if you guys let's, see let's, it, let's look don't. online here. <laughs> I don't think we really care for a show okay. that you're giving a thumbs down to. Yeah. I don't think we should okay. bother to tell people. Just, yeah, watch out for Leggett or Legit. Yeah. I, I just watched it and I thought, I just, there, there's so much for every show like Leggett. That's out there. There's a Sherlock Holmes, a Sherlock somewhere that can't get on the air because Leggett is taking its time slot. There's a Firefly that can't survive to season two so that they can cancel it and put something like Leggett on the air. And it's just, it's to me, it was very much endemic of everything that's wrong with broadcast television today. Moving on to episodes, we are going to cover episodes 11 and 12 of. Uh, Battlestar Galactica Season 1. We'll start with Episode 11, Colonial Day. Joey. Gaius Baltar is chosen as VP. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I couldn't quite tell if Colonial Day is supposed to be like Flag Day or if it's supposed <laughs> to be like Independence I, Day. I kind of got the sense it's independent. I mean, it's, it's a big enough deal that Adama, who's not normally a party goer, comes out to yeah. the celebration. Yeah. So it seemed like it was a fairly major holiday for them. Yeah, it's not something that is just, you know, it's not Arbor Day. Uh, <laughs> people actually seem to care about it. So um, it starts off with <clears throat> what is unfortunately a real thing in our universe, which is talk television. <laughs> We have aboard okay. the, uh, the luxury liner, whatever it is, Cloud Nine or something, the Colonial Gang sitting there discussing what is going on in the <laughs> fleet and the various decisions that are being made by President Roslin. Um, and uh, it is, uh, as someone, uh, I think it was Adama called it lowbrow rattle rousing. <laughs> And they're pseudo journalists. Well, in my opinion, in his opinion, they are 
two of the only remaining legitimate journalists <laughs> left in the universe. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, anyway, I, I just don't consider those people to be journalists. If you're going to be news people, then you report the news dispassionately and you do it with an eye to let's get the accurate facts out there, not a spun up version of how I think things should be and what I personally think about this and that. Having opinion is fine. Newspapers have had an op-ed section for ever, yep. I think. So it's not as though opinion people haven't been around for a long period of time. I just, it seems like that's what a lot of our media today, a lot of our news ends up being more about opinion than about sharing the actual news. Okay. So that's my take on, on yeah. I'm frustrated with the news media outlets. My, my question, I guess, is how is that any different from what you and I are doing here? Good point. Because I, I don't see as any, well, I, I shouldn't say any. I don't see very many members of the quote-unquote media elite being any more entitled or enlightened in their opinion than you or I are. We stop and think about things just as much as they do. And as a result, I I take what they say and I treat it like I would any other podcast. That's a good point. It really is. But I think that there is something sacred and holy about the news. And I think too often it becomes an opportunity to gain ratings okay. and to pontificate a particular um, agenda, agenda, some you know political thought piece to move people in a, in a specific direction. I, I guess for me where the gap is <clears throat> that I feel... It's just, it's more mainstream than sure. it used to be. It's more in your face and out there much more than it used to be. And I just wish it would take a step back. I'm not saying you have to stop having an opinion or trying to persuade people to believe what you think. Uh, I just feel like the Walter Cronkite journalist is dead and gone and has been for a good 10 to 20 years. We don't have the kind of news media, the, the, the sacred relic of news media that you're talking about there. It just doesn't exist. And, and that's where I, that's where I think that's where, where the divide is between you and I, as I say, you know what, everyone that's out there, they're all espousing a particular political opinion. The, the Walter Cronkite, the, the, that voice of trust coming into your living room, that thought and reasoned and then presented the facts and expected you to come to your own conclusion. That guy's gone. He's not around anymore. It's unfortunate. I think it's it's you know in a way it's it's tragic if I can I, use I just, that word twice in one podcast. It, it's unfortunate <laughs> that they use the label of news okay. as that. Okay, and, I see your point. And and present themselves as what they're saying is actual fact, gotcha. rather than being no, okay. the opinion I think that you're it right is. About that. And that is frustrating for me. Okay. Because, yes, everyone's entitled to their opinion. 
I I am behind that 100%, but when you take that, you know, sacrosanct, I don't know if that's the right word, let's go to sacred, let's go to that, that sacred term of mind that I like, which is the news, and you pass it off as, you know, your political agenda, it's unfortunate, okay. and I'm, I'm disappointed that people buy into that, and that becomes what is actual news, rather than being the opinions of Fox and Friends. <laughs> I like how you pick on Fox and Friends all the I time. I think they're idiots. I agree that they're idiots, but, you know, CNN has some pretty big idiots on, oh, too. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. They all do. Uh, okay, so back to the episode. We hear about this guy, Wallace Gray. He seems to have come out of left field, or did I just miss something from previous episodes? Wally hasn't been around ever. Okay, all right. All of a sudden, he's her right-hand man. He, he's the power behind the throne. He's the shadow master or puppet master or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't get where all of that's coming from. I just think that you know they needed some character, and so he that's what you know they came up they with. They needed somebody they could throw away because they knew they couldn't get rid of Billy yet because he hasn't been revealed as a Cylon. <laughs> all right, another weird thing for me. This is a, okay, why are they doing this? <laughs> So we see the scenes of the guy putting his gun together. Mm -hmm. And he's got this specialized case. The preformed um, squishy foam <laughs> yeah. layout that is cut out exactly to specifications for this specific gun. Okay. How do they have the supplies for this? <laughs> I'm willing to believe that they have got some gun out there and they've got ammunition for said gun, but the carrying case, that seems oddly specific. I chose to believe that this guy was like the most incompetent assassin available <laughs> and he was actually like on his way to some job. <laughs> they'd sent him off world because they're like... Oh, geez, we, you know, we at least have to try and assassinate this guy. All right, send, send Greg. He, he's, he's awful. He'll fail miserably. Send him. And he's like in the fleet as in his assassin role. And then things go upside down. And now he's looking for someone okay. to give his allegiance to. Zarek was the obvious decision. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Fine. I'll let that go. Um, uh, a couple of interesting things. Um, Tom Zarek is appointed to the Sagittarian uh, seat in now, the quorum. Is that the world that he blew up the the building from? I don't know. Okay, I don't. We don't have enough information. Or at I least think if they we do, told I wasn't us, paying attention. Yeah, the the episode in which they introduced Zarek, I feel like they told us because Dwala is talking about how don't defend him. I'm from that world. It was my people that he blew up. Or no, because Billy's like, I thought you'd be on his, his side because he was fighting for your people. And she's like, my people? What do you think you know about my people? <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like they told us in that moment, and I've just I've lost track of it. Huh, I, okay. I suspect because of the, how they talk about the Sagittarian legality, the, the ability when, you, when a prisoner is rehabilitated, all his crimes are forgiven and whatnot. I suspect that he is actually from Sagittarius. That, that's where right. his crime was committed. Okay. Yeah. 
Also appointed to a seat on the council is Gaius Baltar. He is selected for Caprica. Yes. And he is so not excited about this. <laughs> but head six is. She wow. likes the fact that now, he is there. She encouraged him. Well, did she? Yes. Because in this scene, how do we encounter head six? In a mirror. Her reflection in a mirror. But when we're seeing Gaius. No, she's still she's still there. He hits her head against she hits his head against the mirror. No, 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 no. That's that's the next episode you're thinking of. In okay. this episode, he's in the lab and Kara comes in and she says Oh, I'm here because I'm your security detail. Didn't you hear? You've been appointed as the rep from Caprica. And the reaction that we get from Head 6 is in a mirror that's hanging on a wall. But we don't see Head 6 in the room at any point, which led me to the speculation that this is not Head 6. This is Baltar off the rails. <laughs> he's so, now starting to somebody... actively hallucinate head six when he's not getting the projections. Oh, so this is this is a hallucination. This is Gaius going crazy. Yes, interesting. Okay, okay. I don't even remember that scene. I guess very well. So good on you for for paying attention. Um, at well, any rate, it's about to all blow up anyway. <laughs> we'll find out then. Yeah, the next episode. <laughs> Um, so Zarek is coming through and the, the big hubbub is, you know, is anyone going to shake Tom Zarek's hand? Is the president going to shake his hand and recognize him? Um, will you accept the hand of friendship? Yeah, but I would, that, but you're, that's not what you're extending there. <laughs> he, uh, goes up to Colonel Ty. Yes. Colonel Ty will not shake his hand. Ellen okay. Ty does. Yeah. She's very friendly, very cordial, mm. because that's who Ellen Ty is. That's the Cylon's plot. <laughs> she likes Zarek. She seems to be drawn to him. Now, President Roslin plays the political game, and she kind of bests him a yep. little bit, because yep. she shakes his hand and also kisses each one of his cheeks. Um weirdest thing i don't know i'm glad we don't greet people that way in america anymore <laughs> can you imagine how awkward and weird that would be that's actually how we greet each other in the the cq group at at axis 41 um i will be there early before the rest of you <laughs> as each person comes in they greet each person so it doesn't matter and, when and you just show spread up spread slimy stuff all over my cheeks so that no one wants to kiss me <laughs> have you met ken <laughs> 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 All right, if we, inside jokes. Yeah, sorry, everyone. Um, anyway, Zarek wants an election of the vice presidency. And his his whole spiel is, how can we possibly go on, you know, with we're one shot away from not having any leader at all. We need to get a vice president. And his angle is he's hoping to become the vice president. Right, he's making promises and he's been he's been working this. He has. But everything that he says is accurate. It's actually it's the right thing to do here for them to take the time to elect a vice president. And Rosalind knows it because as he's going on about it, you can see this like crestfallen look on her face as she realizes I've only been thinking about how the cancer affects me. 
yeah. and how I have to hide it. I haven't thought about line of succession. <laughs> For sure. And they've basically screwed up because they could have done this before. Yes, they could it have had It seems like they could have... She could have picked anyone She any could time. have controlled the whole thing and said, I'm now appointing this person as my vice president. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Baltar seconds this not um uh yeah, nomination after for six Zarek. wakes him up to ogle a woman yeah <laughs> so this this is the faction <laughs> now is this the is this the this the, is this is the microchip okay again i'm, I'm like how much do i even bother to explain because i i am keeping copious notes on which faction is talking to Gaius at any given time? I'm trying to figure out how many factions there are, what their points of view are. So there's, there's clearly the actual six, and she wants Gaius to love her. And then there's this other group that wants to drive a wedge between Gaius and six. <laughs> and so they encourage his debauchery, and they tell him, oh, hey, wake up. That woman across the way, she's been staring at you, and she's not wearing any underwear. Right. Um, that's because... This faction is trying to separate Gaius and Head Six. And they want him to second the nomination because they have a plan. That's true. Um, the parliamentary procedure here, by the way, atrocious. <laughs> yes. That's the one thing they should have got right in all of this is Come on. the parliamentary procedure. They couldn't take 10 minutes to call up a Parliamentarian, Why parliamentarian don't TV say, producers worry about Parley Pro in more TV shows? Look, there's like two things they had to do to get it right, <laughs> and they didn't bother. Nobody cares except for you <laughs> and the guy that taught you Parley Pro. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's true. There are just two parliamentarians in the entire world. <laughs> one is the student and one is the master. <laughs> so Zarek's nominated. Um, and we then start to see Zarek, you know, going around and championing the cause of the little guy. He's a communist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, I'm like listening to it. I'm looking at my wife, horrified. I'm like, this guy's a communist. And she's like, so? I'm like, no, he's a communist. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not. A, he's he's corrupting the system. Yeah. He's saying, look, we, you know, why are we still even using a monetary system? You know, why does this guy come out here and and water this garden every day? You know, that's because he's, you know, he's supposed to do that. That's what society has told him. He's a him. slavery to the old ways. The proletariat must rise. You know, I should be careful. I'm actually, I'm not as hateful towards communists as I come across sometimes. It's, it's a fun little game I play with our friend Curtis. Yeah. Um, At least I have fun with it. So Apollo and Starbuck get into a fight. Did okay. you have something else you wanted to say? Uh, I go chronologically. I think you tend to leave the Hilo and Boomer stuff to the end, right? Is that your plan? I mention the Hilo and Boomer stuff when it gets important or interesting. And it's okay. not until the end that it really gets important. Well, I just I, I just do want to put the one quote out there. Uh, as Boomer's trying to fill out Hilo's potential for seeing past her Cylonic nature... Hilo throws out the line, whatever they are, they're not human. They've yep. got to be fracking Cylons. Yep. Okay. And she's very crestfallen because of that. She's not happy about the fact no. that he's not buying into, yeah. you know, her uh, ideas. 
Uh, so Apollo and Starbuck, they get into a fight, and they manage to catch the guy who has the gun. And they start to interrogate him, but they don't really seem to learn anything about it. So we cut away to the president, and she's, she thinks it absolutely has to be Zarek who's yep. organized this. And she says, you know what? I want his phones tapped. I want you guys to just start getting any information you can about him. By any means possible. Sort of seems like that might be illegal. It's tough to know their legal system. It, it seems to, if you think about the time period in which this was airing, uh-huh. seems to be a, a shot directly aimed at the presidency of George W. Bush. Which is weird because I wouldn't think that about More? President Roslin. Oh, okay. I just don't see her as that type to make an order like that. Well, we see at multiple chances in this episode that, in fact, Wallace Gray makes the comment, but I think it was a mistake to have it come from that character's mouth. She is becoming a political animal. She kind of has to. Yeah. Um, so they come back in and uh, Valance is dead. His wrists have been cut, and apparently someone was able to sneak in. Why they didn't have a guard in there with him, I guess, you know, or someone physically watching him, yeah. as opposed to, oh, he's just in a room, locked. Eh, no one can There were two him. guards outside the room, but they went through the vent to get past the guards. Right. Okay. So the question is, did Ellen help? Yes, Ellen did it. Ellen did it. Ellen did it. Ooh. When uh, Zarek came to her okay. and said, I've got this friend. I need your help finding him. She knew that it because she's one of the Cylons and the Cylons clearly want Baltar in the vice presidency. So she knew that it would be more destructive to his cause for that person to die than to leave him alive. So she snuck in there and killed him. And she's small enough to be able to fit through the ductwork. Yes. I would imagine you'd want someone who's pretty skinny, and she's pretty rail thin. <laughs> Boomer might have been a better choice in that aspect. Okay. Not but again, we're not on ba- uh, Galactica. Yeah, that's true. That's we're, true. we're on that the, the luxury liner. Um, so, Baltar speaks for President Roslin. He backs her up. I don't know that he was intending to do that, really, but he does it. And he he kind of gets carried away in the moment, right? Yes. And just goes with it. Um, and so Rosalind decides, you know what? Let's go with Baltar. He's a better choice to be able to beat out Zarek. And he wins. Okay. So here's my question to you. You're President Rosalind. What's your choice? The human terrorist espousing radical and I would even say anarchic socialist ideals... Or the person who, deep in your gut, only a few days ago, you said you believed to be a Cylon sympathizer <laughs> who was at least partially responsible for the destruction of Caprica, along with the most, most of humanity, but who appears to support you publicly. <laughs> I can only assume that she must have repented and said, you know what, I got it wrong. I was wrong about Gaius See, I don't. I don't think she believes that. I don't think she believes that. Well, her comment is to Adama. the devil you know. Yes. Which is so incredibly wrong. 
Because in reality, the devil you know, she should have taken Zarek. Because you have no idea what type of devil, (laughs) or she really has no idea what type of devil Gaius Baltar is. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I thought it was really weird that with the force of passion that she delivered in the scene where he's in the brig and she says, I know you were involved in this somehow. I feel it. <laughs> and now to turn around and go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to pick that guy as my vice president. That that seems like a great idea. Yeah, but you got to remember, in the end, it came out that that, was, that woman was a Cylon. <laughs> And but so see, she had been duped, and so she's what, like, ah, you know what, I was no, wrong. No, 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 because Ro- what Rosalind tells him is secretly, all along, on some level, I've believed you were involved. I don't remember her saying she, all along I've believed that. She said, when it was told to me, I completely believed it. Not that she believed no, it no, all no, along, no, 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 but no, no, no. when it's it not what came she says. out. It's not what she says. I don't, remember, say I, I don't remember it. the line, so let's... L- let me let, tell you what she says. I don't believe that that's it, though. Let me tell you, you what she says. Let me. T- you mean let you tell me what you think she says, because I don't think that that's actually the, what she The said. words that I know that she used at some point in that conversation was, I knew I believed it. Which is different than saying, I believed what I heard. It was, oh, I came to the realization that all along I had believed this about you. That's my interpretation. So we have the party, and Starbuck really dresses up. Yeah. Um, and do we see Wallace Gray again before we get too far away from this? I honestly don't okay. remember. All right. I, I don't thought, think he's a major character. Okay. I thought it was really bizarre because they have him come in and he's all folksy and G, G- gosh willikers, Madam President, how can I serve he you? He does turn pretty rapidly. Right? Like into, he goes, he's like, Oh, I don't want to be vice president. I'm not a politician. And then she goes and tells him, you know what? Baltar is going to be the better choice for us to win. And he's like, I didn't think you'd turn into one of those kind of traitor politicians. That's, that's why I said, yeah. I think he's the wrong guy to deliver that line. It, I think Billy delivers that line much more believably. Uh, Billy's he's, too much of a kid. He seems like the Midwestern doe-eyed kid to me. That's that's why I think him delivering the line actually becomes more effective because he's starting to get disillusioned with her. Uh, that comment has to come from a guy who's been in the trenches, who's uh, been through the nasty okay, okay. political fight. I see your point. And the way that they positioned Wally was not that guy. Yeah. And so what they did with him later on, I, it was wrong. It's like it, a 180 was, degree in the character. Yeah, it, yeah. it was. It was completely okay. wrong. Um, so Starbuck dresses up, uh, the devil, you know, comment, Ellen manages to secure a room on the rising star. And so the question is, how did she manage to do that? She hacked the computer. She's a silent hacked the computer. Okay. So to finish off, we have Hilo and Boomer. Uh, they sneak into the Cylon base and... Hilo sees another boomer. So as soon as they were sneaking into the Cylon base, I turned to my wife and I said, oh, Hilo's going to see another boomer. And my wife said, what? No, because they have to get off Caprica. It's like, nope, Hilo's going to see another boomer. Guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, so we see you know two sixes come out yep. and then a boomer walks Across around the, way, yeah. the, the corner. And he... He puts it all together. Yeah. 
I he shoots her, doesn't he? No. He next episode he shoots her. No, no, he, no, no, no. He, he shoots that boomer that no, comes no, no. around the corner. Boomer shoots her. He's oh, holding his gun right. and he hears the gunshots go off and he looks over and he sees Boomer standing there. She's like, Hilo, come on. And he turns around and runs the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's the end of the episode. Unless you have any have any comments that you want to make. Um Is there gonna be a thing developing between Adama and Rosalind? Eh. Not real not like a big Molder Scully will they won't they kind of thing. <laughs> Molder Scully. That's kind of funny. It's funny the way you put that because Molder and Scully were young. <laughs> yes. Adama and Rosalind, so not young. <laughs> so to put them in that same category. <laughs> well, it is That's weirder that they're old, but <laughs> <laughs> old people can still fall in love. Sure. There's no reason they can't. It's just weird to put on television. <laughs> So, uh, listener M says, hey, Sir Pete and Sir Joey, if you watch the series in the order that it aired, you don't get to watch the plan until the end. It is a terrific wrap-up for the series. Almost as good as all good things. On another topic, why uh, why does the voice sound better when you're getting over a cold slash flu? Joey sounded great when he was recovering from his cold <laughs> on show 153, and Pete sounded great on number 154. Later, M. Um, That's funny because I got uh, my friend Mike Cassetta in, in Utah County said, boy, you sounded terrible in 153. <laughs> I was like, we should check and call and, fi- call and check and see if Joey's okay because he, po- <laughs> he might have died and no one noticed. <laughs> Uh, Mark sent in another email about Colonial Day. He says, It is time for the 12 colonies to begin to rebuild their government. I have one question for the hosts. Is President Roslin a Democrat or a Republican? She's a Democrat. She's a Democrat. Yeah. I would probably agree with that, except for the occasional stuff where it's sort of like, wow. That's an incredibly like, she's kind totally of a, Republican. She's thing kind to of do. a fascist Democrat in a way. <laughs> Isn't that the best kind? <laughs> if you're gonna be a Democrat, be might a as well be a one. fascist. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, my friend John Madsen. Oh yay! He said Colonial Day. Oh wait, there's Ellen Ty. <laughs> I guess she does show up again after all. Uh, wondering how much energy it I takes about that. <laughs> he promised me I would never have to see yeah. her again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wondering how much energy it takes to power cloud nine's artificial sun in its lifelike biosphere. Probably worth a few jumps at least. <laughs> I can only assume that there's two different power sources. Like they need Tilium to make a jump but it doesn't mean that they need Tilium to be able to continue to maneuver and fly okay. around in space. You know, it's like, um, you know, it's it's two different energy systems. Sure. Okay. That that's my that's my thought. Okay. I don't know that we ever get an answer though. Uh, Brainy Smurf says, Ron Moore calls this their West Wing episode. <laughs> he also admits. That it falls short of greatness. Sending Lee and Gimpy Starbuck is absurd. Yes. 
Gaius was entertaining, though. Sci-Fi 3, TV 4. We didn't even talk about the fact that they send star the injured Starbuck as the head of a security detail. Yeah, the one walking around with a cane. Yes. Yeah, good point. Uh, okay, Peter? ratings? Yes, television rating. TV, I'm going to give this a five. It's middle of the road. There are some enjoyable pieces to Interesting. it. Uh, but uh, there was some other stuff that was just kind of like, eh, so-so. So, yeah, just five. Um, I actually gave this one a seven. I, I really enjoyed it. I can't put my finger on what necessarily. You uh, do enjoy politics. I do. Um, seeing And you like Parley Pro. I do, but it, they did it wrong. Uh, maybe that feeling of superiority helped my enjoyment a little bit. <laughs> uh, seeing Baltar actually take to the microphone and show that, okay, there, there's still that flash of brilliance in him somewhere. As much as I hate the character, I mean, he's a truly bad guy. Mm-hmm. It, it makes him a more compelling villain to see that he's not always, you know, <laughs> talking to the invisible head six character <laughs> and doing weird sex things. There actually is some depth to that character. Nice. Uh, for science fiction, I only gave this a four. Um, there really wasn't a ton of sci-fi going on with this, but it was still set within a sci-fi mm-hmm. world that you know was positing you know political change and whatnot. So yeah, yeah. I gave it a six. I think for for Cloud Nine, it, it, it got that sure. got some credit yeah, for good me. Point. Moving on to our next episode. Kobol's Last Gleaming, Part 1. The fleet finds Kobol, prompting President Rosalind to start believing in her own visions. Ooh. This is getting interesting. So this is the beginning of a two-parter leading up to the season finale. So my wife refused to watch episodes with me last night when she found out found out we were splitting a two-parter across two podcasts. <laughs> she said, I'm just going to wait till you go to work tomorrow and watch the whole two-parter. Oh, <laughs> that was mean. But good for you, Dee Dee. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be... I, I thought long and hard about this because I was like, ah, I know this is a two-parter. We're splitting it. I don't like to do that, but it's... It ends at episode, you know, what, 13? Yeah. So I don't want to... We probably should have just done the two-parter as one episode, looking back. Well, but here's the thing. Then we have... Yeah, you're right. This, we talked about this. We talked about season this. season wrap-up. Wrap so yeah. this, it really does make sense to, to do it the way that we did. Um, and you're just going to have to suffer. <laughs> um, I think this is one of the best teasers I've seen in for any TV show in years. Um, I mean, you have the... First of all... The music is very, very compelling that's playing behind it all. But then the the combination of events that are taking place here. You have the boxing match between Lee and the commander. Right. You've got Kara calling out Lee's name in bed with Baltar. (laughs) I wanted to just forget that. (laughs) You've got them cutting back and forth, directly comparing the plights of the two boomers. Uh Uh-huh, yep. And, And then, again, just that piece of music against it all. Um, I just I found it really really compelling and it is it's good isn't it? it it like I like I said like I I implied earlier I immediately knew okay well I mean consciously I knew I was in for the season cliffhanger but at this point they have emotionally primed the pump 
I yeah. am hooked right now. So yeah. from production standpoint, the way that they looped all of that stuff together and combined it really worked well. Yes. Um, it's clear that someone put a lot of thought in that. So then we see uh, previously on Battlestar Galactica, and we see a scene where President Rosalind tells Billy, I'm going to continue taking the Kamala anyway. And Billy says, or because of the other side effects, and Billy says, you mean the visions. I don't remember that scene. I don't know that I remember it either. I think that they put, I think it hit the cutting room floor. Maybe. And they left it in the previously seen on. Maybe. Okay. They're giving us a little something extra. <laughs> um, so we, with the boxing match, I've never really understood boxing. I just personally don't understand the sport. I, I guess there's there's a physical nature to it. You know, two men literally duking it out between each other. I guess I can kind of get that. But it's never been a sport that I've ever thought, oh, man, I can't wait to see this match. Because I just never got into the whole causing pain to somebody else. Okay, as a spectator sport, I can see what you're saying. I've never cared to watch someone else box. However, <laughs> we haven't had one of these in a little while. There is Joe, something... Hold on, everyone. Joey's about to admit something terrible about himself. <laughs> there is something truly satisfying about punching another man in the face as hard as you can. Is this going to turn into your admission of your own version of Fight Club? No, no. <laughs> because it kind of sounds like Although it. I watched that movie and there's certainly something compelling about the concept. <laughs> no, it's not. The dude is crazy. <laughs> yes, yes, clearly. He's insane. But the concept, the concept of Fight Club... I, I don't know what it is, but there's just this this visceral satisfaction that comes when words no longer suffice to show oh. your contempt and disgust and, and <laughs> absolute lack of concern for someone else as a human being than to just smoosh their nose with your fist as hard as you can. I mean, like... So I, I grew up getting in a lot of fights. Imagine that, right? Um, <laughs> my mom decided that she was sick of me losing all these fights that I got into. And so she, who was a, a pretty capable boxer in her time, um, decided to coach me up a little bit. And the best piece of advice she ever gave to me, I'm going to pass on now to all of our podcast listeners. Heaven forbid any of you ever have cause to hit another person in the face but the piece of advice she gave was you're not trying to hit them in the face you're trying to push your fist through their head and out the back that's what you're trying to do because a lot of people when they punch as soon as they feel that contact they recoil they're just trying to hit you in the face if you want to win the fight you're trying to push your hand through their head and out the other side and that's where you really get that satisfying meaty Fleshy contact. It's great. It's great. <laughs> I can see why men box. Don't necessarily understand advice. why they watch it. <laughs> Motherly advice from the Smith family. <laughs> this is this is what Mama Bear teaches the Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on. Yeah, we have the the Starbuck calling out Lee's name when she's with Gaius. 
which is deflating for Gaius. It'd be deflating for any man. Look, another pro tip for you. Another li- another little life nugget from Joey. <laughs> getting two wow. in one three podcast. In a row. <laughs> was there three? I think there was oh, okay. three. All right. Um, just get in the habit now. Tell yourself now. I'm never going to call out anyone's name during sex. <laughs> I'm going to keep it generic. And then there's never a mistake. Okay. Uh, so we do have the scene. Hilo shoots Sharon. Looks bad, but it ends up only really being a flesh wound. Yes. Because it doesn't really hurt her that bad. And we cut away to Boomer. Trying to commit suicide. Who's biting the gun. Yeah. Um, and Trying to put some lead in her diet. <laughs> then we have Rosalind sitting down with the spiritual leader. And they have, you know, a little moment where they are discussing the theory of the prophecies and whatnot and how she's supposed to be playing a part in Mm -hmm. all of this. Um, And how she's made a believer of the priestess. Yes. I thought that was an important part. Yeah. Because up until that point, Rosalind had kind of kept her own skepticism handy through much of this. I mean, she wanted to see where it was going to take her, like with Leoben, but she clearly kept her own skepticism at the ready to just say, you know what, push him out the airlock. We're done with him. Um, But I think once the preacher, once the priestess, whatever you want to call that woman, once she starts to believe in the president, the skepticism is set aside. Yeah. Yeah, it's becoming a very real thing all around. So we then have a conversation with uh, Gaius. Once again, one of the genius ways that this writing staff has managed to do this. Where Gaius is having two conversations that really looks like the one conversation. And it really must take a genius to be able to accomplish this. Because... Six is like she's annoyed that he's not paying more attention to her. Well, more than anything during this conversation with the president, she she's annoyed because Kara calling out the wrong name has yeah. bothered him. Uh-huh. And now Six is like, wait, you're in love with her. You're, there's something more. I told you you could have sex with as many women as you wanted, but your heart belongs to me. Mm-hmm. And it seems like she got into your heart by doing that. And I'm. I'm mad. I'm really mad. In fact, I'm so mad, I'm going to send you directly into the arms of danger. Or is she protecting him, no. as so, she suggests? No. Uh, okay, we got to get to my note here. I was going to talk about the barter and the currency-based system. Sure's before or after that? Right on top of that, so do yours. Okay, so President... Rosalind is saying, look, we're still kind of basically on a barter system right now. Um, and, you know, we want to still stick with the main currency system that, that's around. And she's trying to explain all of this to, to Gaius, who's, you know, sort of in and out with yeah. all of this. Um, and, of course, he does his whole rebellion thing. But why are they in a bartering system or a currency system at all? Why isn't this a martial state? <laughs> Why isn't this the president or the military saying, look, here are 
here are our resources. We will allocate them as we see best and just deal with it that way. Clearly, there, there is, there's a strong culture, and I don't know why. I don't know that we've been given anything in the episodes to know why. But there's, we've given, been given multiple opportunities to get a sense that there's a strong f- cultural fear of military junta. Uh, okay, that, that's certainly been there. People and, have not liked the idea that the military would just assume control. And, right? and so for Rosalind to do that, it becomes that you know leadership by fiat. And, and she's afraid to start down that path because she's still trying to, like, I mean, she's trying to hold water in her hands here with all these ships. And she's afraid that if she squeezes any tighter, it will just continue to slip through faster. So she she can't take away what these people see as their right to give and take and trade and, and expect services yeah. in kind. I, I just don't understand how the barter system works when you have one particular ship that literally has no resources yeah. and has no opportunity to gain resources. So what is it that they're going to be bartering with? Because the market the people system, on the, ship. the market system at that point says, well... Bye bye. You're not going yeah. to survive. Service services available from the people on the ship, for example. Yeah, I guess. I just you know, you we don't see your... enough of how all of the ships are interacting. I with think each as other. much as you and I would find that fascinating, probably most television no, viewers no. would yeah. tune it, out. It, it it would be dreadful. It would be like watching C SPAN or something. <laughs> Which is a great channel. <laughs> All right, you wanted to cover something that was kind of going on at the same time, right? Yes. Um, Six is asking, Gaius, are you in love with Kara? Are Uh you in love with Kara? And he says, no. And she says, you know what, Gaius? Quit trying to lie to me. I know everything you know. It's not a microchip. Oh. I don't know what it is. But and that's why I was sighing earlier and saying, how much do I even bother to explain that I'm keeping track of all these things? And then the next episode, I get to the middle of it and I literally wrote, oh, crap, it's not a microchip. <laughs> it I could be a microchip, though. I don't know. I don't know what's going on at this point, but something in the writer portion of my head said, that's it. That right there is your cue. This is not a microchip. There's something else going on here. I have no idea what. You don't know what the trigger is for you that makes. I don't. You it's think it's that com- it's on a completely subconscious level that the writer part of my brain woke up and said that was important right because there. In my mind, a microchip could still make. An I know. Incredible I know. Like like when it, when I try to logically think it through, I go, I I don't know what it is, but my intuition, my writer's intuition screamed it's not a microchip at that point okay but there's an there's a strong possibility that that's just weeks and weeks of you screwing with me (laughs) getting to my subconscious mind and now my subconscious mind is like no we're peach plaything (laughs) (laughs) so if that's the case does that mean that gaius is a cylon no because there's a connection there with no i don't think he's a cylon like some I think sort of shared community brain or something. I think that that thing, whatever it is, is really there. 
and it can decide who sees it and who doesn't and what they see. Oh, really? So some other type of technology? I don't that can know. Project yeah, itself. I don't. I don't know if it's. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Like, I, I'm, and I'm there's not enough to, evidence for you yes. to really make a, another yeah. type of. I, and it, uh, on okay. top of that, now I feel like I have to go back and rewatch the entire first season <laughs> and reevaluate that assumption every time there's an interaction. Oh, I love this podcast. <laughs> oh man, that's so awesome! Damn it, I have to go and watch these shows again. <laughs> oh, so funny. Um. Let's see here. Gaius is stressed out and gets a cryptic warning. So he kind of gets a warning that he needs to... Six warns Yeah, Yeah, so this this came on the heels of my realization. Okay, it's not a microchip. It's a person, place, or thing that is there. Like, there is something there with him. I don't know if it's a a ghost. (laughs) 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 I, I I don't have the proper frame... To put well, it in? The mystery van will show up soon, and Scooby-Doo will... Oh, uh, by the way, I forgot. I was supposed to tell you at some point in tonight's episode, so before I forget again, before, in tonight's podcast, Aaron wanted me to threaten you Oh, that uh, if we don't find some way to get him on the podcast, he's going to start getting up at night and coming up to my bedroom and whispering <laughs> what's going to happen in future episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's great. He's he's like, I, I, and I'll just start like, we'll be sitting at dinner and I'll just turn to you and say, by the way, Adama's a Cylon. And then go back to eating. <laughs> uh, look, I would love to have Aaron back on the podcast. I really would. I, what, what I'm saying is that he's putting it, the onus on you to figure out a way to get him on here. Uh, I don't know how we're going to do this now because you're working with me. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to have to take the train up. Yep. Or else true. he's going to have to drive up. Well, he's got to get his driver's license before he can do that. True, true. Anyway, um, I, I was just supposed to pass on the message. Okay. Aaron, you're welcome to be on here. I like, I'm one of the people who likes having you on the podcast. <laughs> Golly. Uh, okay. Um, oh, we can't jump that close to, to a, a planet. planet. Because it either gets starts to get sucked in by the gravity, or you know plays havoc with the system somehow. Mm-hmm. Don't really know what, but it's a big deal because crap, we're too close to the planet. And I think there's a reason for this. I don't think Gata miscalculated. I don't think he did either. I don't think he knew it was there. I don't think Cobol was on the star maps. Yeah, and I think that's on purpose. And I cannot believe, cannot believe how no one. In this episode, not a single major character goes, wait, didn't we leave Cobol for a reason? Mm. We fled Cobol. We didn't just leave it. We fled and took it off of our star maps to never go back there. There is a reason for this. And this happened 2,000 years ago. Yeah. So when they left, it wasn't as though they were, you know, getting in hand carts and literally pushing their way across the solar system. No, they would have had technology that would have been able to track themselves and understand, you know, how to keep and maintain, you know, a set of star charts. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're kind of right in that, in, in thinking that way. Like, why 
did we, you know, try and get away from this place? And shouldn't was we... Was it too dangerous? Well, what what was the cause of the exodus? We're told, right? We created the Cylons, and the Cylons knew where we were, and we fled from them. We were yeah, told I don't that. Remember, I don't remember enough of that. I, I, I guess I just wasn't paying enough attention. And And so when we come back, big surprise, the Cylons are around COBOL. They've been there the whole time. They've been waiting for humanity to come back to COBOL. And for us to continue to pursue this is a huge mistake. And how does not any character in the episode realize this? The, the, the problem that I have with this episode is, again, we left COBOL. We clearly had the technology to be able to leave COBOL. Right. Granted, 2,000 years ago, I get that that's a long time period. Mm-hmm. You know, people can forget but really you're saying that they forgot that it's out there yeah okay like so where it's i actually and, and i actually had a very good conversation there. about this with a guy at work because we were talking about i was like oh yeah i watched Battlestar last night and and he's like oh yeah where are you guys at? i said oh we're at the 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 two-parter the first part of the two-parter that ends of the first season he says oh yeah okay so in that episode they like they like stumbled on cobol again right i'm like yeah he said okay it's clear that these guys didn't go back to the Stone Age. Yeah. They kept like some semblance of technological society. How is it that they don't have the map to say, hey, there's COBOL? Yeah. I said, you know what? It makes perfect sense to me because you cannot go out today and take a Microsoft Word document that was written in 1990 and open the file because it'll be on a three and a half inch floppy drive or floppy disk. And where are you going to find a three and a half inch floppy drive today? Even if you find the drive, it's in an old file system format that you probably can't read. Mm-hmm. And even if it's in the, even if you can get the file system to load, word is probably not going to recognize that old of a version of file. So it's not at all unbelievable that after 2000 years, there's been degradation in the digital information. We can't open. There are, tons of documents that the u.s government has trapped in digital archives because we just don't have the technology anymore to read the files Mm. and this has only been 50 years or you know give or take a little bit two thousand years we're not going to be able to open microsoft word documents in two thousand years well if they're that advanced couldn't they have solved that problem we're not that advanced it wasn't a priority that's a plausible reason. It really is. Um, okay, let's uh, let's see here. Lee and Kara punch each other in the face. Um, what is wrong with Lee, and why should he care? That's a thought I had. It, it's obvious, Pete. He's in love with Kara. Yeah. Okay. I can. Yeah. I can see that. Um. So Kara is talking. You know, Lee is like, "Why are you? Why are you doing this, Kara?" Why did you sleep with Baltar of all people? And Kara says something along the lines of, well, just remember that I'm bad news or something ridiculous like that. You roll your eyes. But I have to say, for a person who lives and battles every day with depression and self-loathing, to go out and perform these kinds of self-destructive behaviors is something I totally understand. I have no trouble at all believing that deep down inside of herself, Kara believes what she just said. And as a result, does the things that she knows will harm the people around her because that's what I do. 
Like it can get programmed into you. You are bad. And therefore you go out and you do things that you know are bad because that's what's expected of you. It's weird and it's unfortunate and it's really, really sad when it happens to you as a person and it's a hard pit to climb out of. Mm -hmm. But I not only did I understand where she was coming from, but I felt that the actress here portrays that emotional state very, very well. Having lived through it myself, I said, yep, you've nailed that. I know exactly what you're going through right there. Okay. Okay. I guess I won't roll my eyes as much uh, at at that. (laughs) You'll just roll them at me. (laughs) So the president is seeing things. Yes. um, As as she is, you know, looking at Can I roll my eyes? The opera house? Like, that's the big sacred vision she gets is of the place they went to watch opera? I don't know. I, I think it's more of the fact that it's... She's seeing things. Okay. She is seeing this thing, which we come to find out. This is uh, maybe a little jump ahead, but apparently, the as part of their mythos, the arrow of Apollo is able to open the tomb of Athena. Yes, which I'm assuming must somehow be related to this opera house and this structure. Okay, because it was a structure that was duplicated. On Caprica, yes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Caprica, which is where they keep the arrow of Apollo. Oh, it is. Yes. Yeah, you are jumping ahead. Yes. Yeah. It, within the the episode, it is talked about within. They the say episode. that it's in the it's uh-huh. in that structure. Oh, I missed that. Hmm. I don't know if they said it's within that structure, oh, okay. but they said right. that it's on Caprica. Yes, they did say it's on Caprica. That's yeah. True. Yeah. Maybe I'm making something up there. Um. Um. But within the the episode uh, chronologically. We come to Gaius um, going to see Boomer. <laughs> no. In her quarters. Going to see Kara and finding Boomer. Oh, is that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, head six is there. Yep. And she is kind of pointing out that there is problems with this model, wasn't she? Didn't she say that? Yeah, she says this model's weak. Or she says yeah. she's weak. This model always has been something like that. Hold on, though. Flaws here. or something. Hold like on. That. Hold on. I, I, I seriously feel like my brain is a yo-yo in relationship <laughs> to this show. Okay. <laughs> We're back to it being a chip again. I don't I, like my I, I'm not able to sufficiently satisfy that writerly instinct that's that's going off like a five alarm bell. But why, if Head Six knows everything Gaius knows, why doesn't she know whether Ellen is a Cylon? She asks Gaius at the end of that episode, so what did the test really show? And Gaius's response is, I'll never tell. Why does she even need to ask that question if she really does know everything Gaius knows? I assume that that is for... It's It's along the same lines as... Why doesn't uh, Commander Adama so tell us audience. that you know it's for the it's audience? For the okay. audience. Right. That's I, the that's the only no, I, thing like, that I, I, I can I kind of thought of. about that myself, but hearing hearing you say it makes me feel better about it. But you're you're absolutely right. If she does know, then shouldn't she know what the test says? Yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously, she knows Ellen is a Cylon anyway. Okay. Um. So Gaius ends up encouraging boomer to listen to her heart 
So Gaius is trying to take care of the problem without yes. having to tell anyone there's a Cylon on board. Yes. And that he lied about the test results. <laughs> <laughs> and so he he does an incredibly terrible thing encouraging someone oh my gosh to real to end themselves because and i think he can see in her the destructive nature that she's going on yes i almost he may have seen her with the gun he did he in came in and mouth. saw her with the gun in her mouth okay i didn't know where yeah. they kind of cut in on that scene so it's sort of like maybe he saw maybe he didn't see he, it's clear that he did when he says i came here looking for lieutenant uh, thrace but and then he looks at her gun. He says, you know, it's best to talk these things through with someone sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the way, there's a word I'm looking it's for. It's despicable. Insidious. That's the yeah. word I was looking for. He is so, so very insidious because he's very careful not to tell her anything specific, uh-huh. but to put enough darkness out there in a general Courage, sense. manipulate. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Just so so effectively creepy. And so he leaves the room and, and he's walking the down the hall. The shot rings out and then he sort of starts to scamper away a little <laughs> faster. Uh, and we're, we're left to think, okay, she's dead. Is it sad that I wrote LOL at failed suicide attempt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not, not because <laughs> She tried to commit suicide, but because she missed. <laughs> it was in her mouth and she missed. And so the question I have at this point is to say, Six told us this model has always been weak. Mm-hmm. Was she too weak to do it? Ooh, good question. What do you think? I think she was too weak to do it. Okay. Uh, and Tyrrell comes in and or, tries to... Or could it be that... The programming? She, well, oh. it, it's... That was the know, other option I entertained. It, it's her programming that took over because yeah. it's her side of it who's saying, oh my gosh, I can't account for it's this the crazy humanity. stuff that's right. happening. Um, I think I'm doing something terrible and the programming, you know, self-preservation. Yeah. I, I, I considered both. I chose to believe the... Uh, she's too weak. Okay. Uh, I, I, it's fine either way in my m- mind. Maybe it'll play out over the over the series that I'll regret making that comment about her. I don't know. <laughs> um, Tyrrell comes in and tries to comfort her a little bit. Uh-huh. And it's very interesting here the way she dismisses him on two levels. First of all, his attempt to humanize her, uh-huh. she responds to with formality and that will be all, Lieutenant, or Chief. Um, but his attempt to reach out to her as a former lover and say, hey, look, can't we still care about each other? She shuts down that on a far more personal level to say, no, I'm done. I'm no longer, I no longer have feelings for you. Yeah, almost blames him, really. Yeah. Because she's sort of like saying, no, you you said that that couldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that, it, it, there, I mean, very little is actually said between the two characters, but there's so much subtext in this scene. Uh-huh. This is great writing. This is this is a writer writing at his peak, showing us the human condition and through a robot. Being, <laughs> actors being able yes. to pull it off. Good direction. I mean, all the pieces are there, but the writer gave great dialogue here. 
good material to work with for sure. Um, so we just covered the arrow of Apollo um, that opens up the tomb of Athena, which points the way to Earth. Um, I think that's really cool that we're getting a little bit more of the mythos of yes, this mythology and how this is so important. I'm, I'm less interested in the mythos of Athena and Ares and or Apollo and Kobol and all of that than I am in the mythology of the Cylons. Is that wrong? Like, no, I don't think does that so. Make me a bad I think it's really cool. I think the villains are the more dynamic character. <laughs> I just love that idea of something from deep within our history that is playing a part now in today's world. Okay. I think that's cool. So I love a, a connection like that. I love story yeah. that is like that. I'm actually going to go out on a limb here. Okay. I'm going to say that because you haven't gone out far enough no no you know i I thought there's so much tree branch behind me (laughs) i should head out this way a little bit more (laughs) um okay two thousand years ago 13 tribes left kobol 12 of them went to the region of space that contained caprica and, and the other planets one of them went to earth that ship that landed on earth spawned our society and the two timelines are happening concurrently. Mm. This is actually sometime now for us, but way far away in space. Interesting. Not in our future. And we are the 13th colony and we lost our technology. We did not like we probably crashed, I'm assuming. And and did not have and did have to go all the way back to the Stone Age, and that's where the ancient Greek mythology of Apollo and and all that comes from. Okay, is because some of us remembered and passed down the oral tradition of the planet of Kobol, and it, and the the last great generation of people who still remembered some pieces firsthand, kind of thing. I mean, obviously, it, it, I, I can't say generation, but there were still remnants of humanity that told those stories to each other. And that became the Greek civilization that we you know, ancient Greek civilization, civilization that we think of. And then everything since then is just a corruption of what was left. Okay. That's my speculation. They're going to get there. We're actually going to have an episode sometime before this series ends, maybe at the end of the series where Starbuck and Apollo are walking down a modern city street in New York City. Okay. That's a fine branch to start going out <laughs> on, too. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> um, so, the jump. Uh, the three raptors are jumping there uh, on a survey so, mission. So, Billy has communicated with the Cylons. Oh, it's Billy. Because of the people that were in on the the whole discussion thing, he's the one that I'm certain is a Cylon. And so he told the the Cylons, oh, hey, humanity's found Cobol again. Get back there. Set up a perimeter. Don't let the humans back down onto Cobol. Why does it have to be Billy? Why couldn't it be Six? Because it's Billy. Okay. (laughs) All right. I can't argue with that. Um so six really pushes Gaius. Yes. Make sure you are on that ship. You don't want to be here when it happens. Yeah. Foreshadowing again this 
this cryptic warning or just trying to put to guys in harm's way because he hurt he broke her heart okay okay that's what still i still a is valid going on. reason so we have the three ships jump in one is destroyed outright yep uh, a Actually, uh, like Cylon Raider just slams into it. They don't detect each other in time. Yeah. Number two, two one of them is hit, um, and they're actually falling to the planet. Yep. Number three is sent back to the fleet to yes. let them know. So the ones who are falling down, um, there's a crack in the window. And I like what the pilot does as he's recognizing. He's like, Oh crap! <laughs> Everyone get down because yeah. that's not where you want to be. Is you know right in front right of, in a, the blast a window of that window that's yeah. about to shatter uh, with all of the force pushing against it, flying back at you. Um, but anyway, it manages to crack, thankfully within an atmosphere. Yeah. So that they all aren't you know I actually sucked think it, out into I space. think it was the pressure of atmosphere that caused it to crack. So okay. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so they're falling down to, Mm -hmm. to the, the planet. Is the pilot going to hold on long enough? Is he going to be able to pull out of the dive? We don't know. Well, that's where it's left at. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. The, the crash landing scene here reminded me very much of lost. (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny if then they just like next season, they just started showing episodes of Lost. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, back on the, the Caprica in the fleet, Rosalyn goes to Starbuck, and she asks her to go to Caprica and get the arrow. Yeah. And her reasoning, or what she manages to do to convince her, is to say, look, we have no idea where Earth is at. Adama lied to you. Adama lied. And she's like, no, he didn't. She says, you ask him then. And so she kind of does it and realizes that he's basically, yeah, she's told a lie. He's told a lie to the fleet. Yeah. And so they're out doing a test run. He calls her on the secure line. She calls him. Yes, thank you. Sorry, I'm getting my he's and she's mixed up (laughs) terribly. She calls him and says... You lied to us. Yep. And I trusted you. And this is the scene that Curtis implied earlier is the important exchange. Well, maybe it's not the scene, but there's an, there's the exchange here between Adama. I know you don't care for this, so quit rolling your eyes it's because I like important. it. I enjoy this. Fine. The, the, I'm just the, saying for the story, it's not that okay. important. It holds I, no meaning. Why are you trying to take this away from me? I enjoy it. <laughs> what are you doing? Bringing in the cat, sir. I liked it. I thought it was a nice little touch. Um, it's unfortunate because Kara did something, in my opinion, that was far more worse with the death of Zach. Zach. And the betrayal that happened there. But somehow this betrayal is so much worse that she can get on her high horse and hold him responsible for keeping the the fleet and everybody together and in a positive direction. I just find it 
incredibly easy I totally for see someone saying. to just forget. I totally see what you're saying. However, did you at all consider the possibility that what's got her so upset here is that he then had that opportunity to come clean with her. She came clean with him on a truly terrible secret that she was no, holding. No, she didn't. Lee told. She she admitted she got it when caught asked. with her hand in the okay. cookie jar, right. so to speak. I I just the the way that she is that they have decided to have her the, be portrayed as somehow wounded and how dare you destroy our you know my innocent soul I having didn't get lied that. to me. I didn't get that. I got more of a look when I was there in front of you and weeping and and trying to show a, a contrite heart. What did you do but say, oh, well, I've never done anything like this. Cast you out. You know? <laughs> you don't, you don't remember that, that dialogue? <laughs> <laughs> good. It's, it's, good. it's possible I may have interpolated some lines in there. It, 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 what people don't, don't see, though, is The head gesture. Yes. The, the complete. <laughs> that was awesome. That was really good. Uh, anyway, she makes the jump. Yeah. She jumps away and I don't think she was so much like personally betrayed as oh crap, what are we gonna do? I, I I've lost that hope. I, I don't have it anymore. Sir, you lied to me. Now I have to go find something. I have to, I have to try and save humanity. I have to pull this out. Well, she's throwing her weight with Rosalind. Yeah. You know, there there's been a split in in their tight knit, and you know the the faction is is splitting, and she's going with Rosalind. So, yeah. Uh, comments? Yes. My friend John Madsen says, "So this is Cobol, huh? It's more important than Earth, apparently. Seems like it would be nice to shack up on if the Cylons didn't find it as well. Won't this be the same problem they have with Earth, though? <laughs> if the humans find Earth." Surely the Cylons will find it as well eventually, especially if they're making every dogged effort possible to follow the fleet. They don't come out and say it, but I'm guessing Earth's main appeal isn't necessarily the land beneath their feet, but the people and strength in numbers they hope to find there. And he didn't give any ratings this week, which is weird. John loves giving ratings. The Cylons want to find Earth. That's the plan. The Cylons want to find Earth. So they are pushing humanity around all the time because they're like, okay, we've been looking for Earth because they knew where the other 12 colonies were, but they want to wipe out all of humanity, all of humanity. Oh. And that's their plan. Maybe. I'm not certain about this. <laughs> you but need I, a chance like, to think about yeah, it. Yes, really. some pieces kind of click there. there there's a, there's a, a ring of truthiness to it where you say, okay, we, we can't find it. Maybe if we push the humans far enough that whatever it is, that essentially human curiosity and problem solving, whatever it is, will kick in and they will find Earth for us and we can get them all in one place and wipe them out like the virus they are. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Going out on that limb a little bit more. You will tell me when it breaks under me, right? <laughs> or are you just going to let me free fall until the episodes tell me? I going to know when it breaks. 
I, th- I think you'll hear cracking in certain areas and you'll say, oh, I maybe better run back over to this branch for a while. <laughs> now let's run over to this one. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Brainy Smurf says, I just love this episode, but I'm going to refrain from commenting till next week where I can discuss both parts okay. as a whole. I will just say that the music that Bear provides for the opening montage is just beautiful. I think we agree. I think that the whole beginning was really pretty awesome. Uh, The classical style is sophisticated yet simple. And let's also point out Adama Boxing. Yeah. Tough guy. Sci-Fi 8, TV 8. Well, Joey's Final 5. Okay. Did you see the darkness in Billy the Cylon's eyes recently? Makes me wonder, what is Billy the Cylon plotting to do next? Well, it was to tell the Cylons get to Cobol and the humans have found it again. Okay. Number two. Are the colonel and his wife good for each other? No. In fact... After this set of is it episodes, good for anyone? No, <laughs> the Cylons. Um, after this set of episodes, I'm actually right now leaning towards Ty is not a Cylon. Colonel Ty. Colonel Ty, not not a Cylon, a Cylon but Ellen because is still. the Cylons want to. Ellen is trying to promote Colonel Ty's future. Mm-hmm. They want another human in their control in a position of power. Ooh, a little puppet sort of yep. thing. Okay. Another Gaius. He's the backup plan. Okay. Number three. Explain the significance of the opera house. It's kind of a tough question because you were kind of annoyed. Like, yeah. what, what's the big deal I, about this? I don't think you got why what like, I get from it. What do you get from it? It's cool old stuff oh, that is there's a no. connection to. So I'm, I'm wondering if it's like supposed to be like the Greek amphitheater. Yeah, where they maybe. went and they told these morality plays and and put forth philosophies and they were and they were trying to find their way right they're trying to discover what it what is it to think what is it to you know what is math i mean like they're answering these fundamental questions about the themselves and the world around them and a lot of that was done through this amphitheater the kind of the with the the chorus and the tragedies and the you know oedipus rex and stuff like that a lot of that stuff was kind of humanity fumbling around. Maybe that was, oh, okay. I, I, can, I, can, I can maybe say, okay, what if that was a degraded form of where the gods used to deliver messages from the opera house? Hmm. We remembered that the gods, so the, the human, humans that came here and that became the ancient Greeks, could remember a time when the gods would call them all to the opera house and they would go to the opera house and they would, they would get messages from on high. Hmm. And so as they themselves tried to re-find out and, and refill their way back towards that state of light, they mimicked the form to see if it was the form that held the power. Yeah, I can see how you would get there from that. Again, for me, it's just a cool, cool <laughs> relation, you know, back to, hey, look, on Caprica, we modeled... Our opera house and our you know system, this particular set of buildings, based off of this original thing that's back on Cobol, and that's what she saw as her well, vision. It is is the actual buildings the way they once yes, were? I, I agree with that. Yeah, and, and, and so and it's, I don't, just, it's just that 
kind of like mystic cool thing and i I don't disagree with anything you said the question is why is it the opera house that was the significant thing that we copied in caprica yeah i I don't know i'm assuming that we're eventually going to get more information about it and by assuming you mean i already know and i like to tell you joey i i don't remember that okay (laughs) um number four by the way I have watched this, but it has been a while since I watched it. So honestly, there are some things that I even don't remember about this. I assume you're like going on... Sometimes I am like specifically vague and specifically like, oh, I'm not sure what that is, Joey, when I actually know. Other times like... I, I just assume that when I go home every Friday night... That you go look on the Battlestar Wiki and cackle with mad glee as you take compare my assertions to the truth, and you, <laughs> oh, he is so wrong, and I'm loving how wrong he is. I already know specifically <laughs> areas where you are both wrong and right. Oh, so I'll give that much to you. Okay. Although I think I've already given that to you before. Yeah. Well, you gave it to me specifically about the Cylon list. You said some of those are right and some of them are wrong. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of mean. <laughs> you just pointed out people within the cast. Well, of uh, course they're going to well, be. Well, and I said Boomer, so cast. at least one of them was going to be right. <laughs> Number four, you have noted the prophecy of Gaius versus Rosalind. Politically, what will be the one big issue that they are contentious over? What do you think? Okay. <laughs> or I'm going to open this up. Do you think that they are going to be contentious? Yes, I do. Still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so because I haven't yet reconciled that other half of my mind that is starting to believe it's not a microchip. Okay. To answer the questions, I have to go under the, the logical framework that I've built up, which assumes that it is a microchip. Okay. And, there, and there seems like there's legitimate evidence that it could be. And, and so the part of, part of that logical framework that I've built up is that there are multiple factions that are controlling that microchip at different times. At least one of those factions is, I think I can even go so far as to say, in love with humanity. Okay. And that faction is going to come to humanity and say, be with us, be part of us, join us. Let's, let's work together. Let's be together um, at some point, probably not until very, very close to the end of the series, but um, so back to the questions. Yeah. What, what 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 do you think is going to be the the one issue that is going to end up being so, so when you ask that, or divisive? The, the the thought that popped into my head was, oh well, the the head six that is in love with humanity is going to come to Gaius and say, join us, be with us, and Gaius is going to say, okay, and President Rosalind is going to say, uh uh-uh. uh, right, <laughs> and that will be the issue. Okay, but I guess it can't. It can't be that late in the series because clearly the thing between Baltar and, and Rosalind has to come to a head here before season three. I'd say early early season three at the latest, those two have to have it out. 
So we're going to get to see some Cylon stuff here in the next season. Okay. There's all my speculation. Number five. Wait, that wasn't number five. (laughs) No, that was number four. This is exhausting. Number five. (laughs) Elaborate on your, quote, third party that the Ellen monster is part of. Oh, I forgot about that. Is that something from last podcast? Yes. Because so, I honestly don't remember that. And I was going to let you what I said that, but it sounds like you No, remember. no, no. So what I said was, um, maybe she's not a Cylon. Maybe she's something else entirely. Oh. Which, if six is not a microchip... Makes Maybe. sense. And I wonder if that's what my brain is connecting in the background. Okay. To say, oh, neither of them are microchips. Neither of them are Cylons. There's another force at work here. But again, again, Brainy, I'm like a lot of this is very intuitive for me. I, I don't actually have a whole lot of evidence ever to go on some off on some of this stuff. Yeah, and the evidence I do have, they'll give me conflicting pieces of evidence. <laughs> and so I kind of am, am trying to feel my way through it. As someone who aspires to be a writer and and spends a lot of his time picking apart the works of writers and going, okay, where is the writer or the writing team? What's the creative vision trying to give us here? Um, And I just, maybe my brain is making a connection on that. Okay, Ellen, she's this third party and so is Head Six. So there's actually three factions here. You have humanity, you have Cylons, and you have something else. And that something else is, I don't know. You're just not sure what it could be. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't even know. Like, is it actually on humanity's side? Or is it playing its own game between the two? I don't even. Yeah. It, it's It's tough. It's really, really hard. It's kind of driving me right. a little don't, bit insane. <laughs> don't you, all right. Yeah, that's a tough one to, to go with because you're not, we don't have enough info, yeah. information. And yet. we have enough conflicting information to truly make it difficult. But it's clear she's duplicitous. Yep. She's trouble. That's Bad sure. juju. Um, okay. So let's do ratings. Joey, yeah. you want to start off with TV rating? Uh, for television, I gave this an eight. I really, really enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, again, there there was this this snap moment in my mind of wait the whole entire series like I just had to reinterpret the whole first season <laughs> and even if it's a false even if it's a red herring <laughs> I'm not an easy guy to do that to I you know I usually see that stuff coming a long way away so I okay. I really enjoyed uh, you know again the opening sequence the uh, Gaius blowing up at six, but having to direct it at Rosalind. Just there's a lot of things in here that work really well. That we're we're starting to see the relationship between Kara and Lee develop, which we didn't even talk about. Um, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> all right, but uh, just I see a lot of pieces, and it is they are they are building that tension up. Right, they are they are ramping us up for the end of season one. True that. Uh, you know what? I had originally written a seven. I, you've encouraged me. I'm going to go with an eight. But I am just going to say I didn't care for the the destructive Kara thing. Okay. You know, it, I just, I don't know. So much of me wants a hero 
in things. And she's like so incredibly close yeah. to being a hero. Um, it's actually one of the frustrations that is going to come out as we get into the series um, Wheel of Time. There's no clear-cut hero nope. that I can look at and say, oh, man. I, a lot of anti-heroes. I, I, oh, man. <laughs> I just I wish I was like that guy. You know, and there is here in this in this series, but I I kind of want Starbuck to be another one of those types of heroes, and she's not, and so I get frustrated with that particular character. Uh, but as you reminded me, there's tons of so much other really good stuff in this episode uh, that I can't help but give it an eight. So yeah, thank you. Okay. What what about for science fiction? Uh, for science fiction, I give it a seven. We get we're getting some of the mythos. We're getting Cobol. We're getting the Arrow. We're getting the the tomb. We are getting the Opera House. Whatever it means, <laughs> I I'm not there yet. I like I, I, just I put that forward in with the mythology. <laughs> I I put that I put forward you know some kind of theory that it kind of makes a little bit of sense. But if that's what we were supposed to get, I mean I had to dig pretty deep to get to that right. 99% of your viewers are not going to dig that deep into, wait, Opera House? <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'm, I'm basing that off of this whole, oh, human and, and or Earth and the, the colonies are coexisting timelines. You know, we're, we're, we're traveling in parallel timelines in space. Um, science fiction-y seven. It's just there's, there's some pieces there, but it didn't really click over into the truly great. Okay. Um. I am I'm at an eight for this. Okay. You know, I, I really, really enjoyed all the sci-fi stuff that, that came along with this. You know, the the flight um, to Cobol mm-hmm. and you know when the three ships show up there, one is just destroyed immediately because <laughs> they leap right into the middle of raiders flying through them. Yeah. And that idea is you know, that's just that oops. That's traffic accident right there, you know, um, and the 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 raptor that is flying down to the the planet, and you know how they're dealing with that. That's sci-fi. I I I think it's really really well done. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening. Thank you.